What advice would you give an aspiring investor six to 12 months behind you guys? It comes down to underwriting and making sure that your underwriting is conservative enough mm-hmm. that when you go do physical due diligence, you don't have to retrade. Mm-hmm. And if you back out of that deal because of retrade, and then you try to put an LOI on another property um, in that same area, guess what? You know, those brokers talk to each other. So what I would say is like, if you miss something during the initial walkthrough, Mm -hmm. because you didn't know better, just make sure you have the people you need in order to walk the property with you and to submit a correct LOI on the first go. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 113 and part of our first deal series. Today, I speak with two former aspiring investors on this podcast and husband and wife duo, Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier. Keep listening to see how they close on their first deal while living overseas. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital, and I'm super excited for today's show. It's one of our first deal series episodes, and we have two amazing guests on the line here. We got Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier with us today, and they both recently closed on an 88-unit apartment complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, that said, Michael and Susie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure being back on the show. Yeah, yeah we're super excited. So, incidentally, um, you know, Michael was on episode number ninety-five with Elaine Villegas, and Susie was the aspiring investor on episode forty-three with Alina Trigub. You know, several months ago. So, actually, Michael's was just last month, and and uh, Susie's was was several months ago. So, um, very happy to have you guys back. This is awesome. Um, it's my new favorite thing, bringing people back on the show who's cl- who've closed in their first deals. So first question I'd like to ask you guys is about your previous podcast visit. You know, what did you guys take away from the questions you were able to ask the experienced investors? Yeah, thanks for asking. So for me and my previous episode, it was mainly about capital raising. And the mm-hmm. biggest thing that I got from Elena was just like building those true relationships, like with your investors, just because that is really the most important part, right? Because when you get to know them and you get to know their goals, you really can help them achieve their goals, you know, truly. And that was the biggest thing for me, just like making sure that I do deep dives with everybody that I'm talking to so that I'm providing the best option for them and their family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good. And Michael, you? Yeah. So my episode was all about asset management, uh, which is, you know, not talked to, talked about too much in the, when you're starting off, right? Cause mm-hmm. everybody's talking about getting the first deal under the belt and things like that. Nobody really talks about what happens after you close. So yeah, it was a great conversation with Elaine. And um, we talked about, you know, having a solid plan from, from day one and mm-hmm. having, having a discussion with the property management company to, that they fully understand the plan and what targets you're trying to hit, you know, Q1, Q2 and, and there on out. Yeah. And just timeline wise with you guys, um, remind me when you closed on the deal. 
February 23rd. Okay. So we, we released that episode. You guys were right ready to close. I don't remember exactly how far out you were, but you guys were like within a, a week or two of closing when, when I brought you on the podcast. And so that was, that was like the natural, here's, here's the next step for us. Here's what, uh, here's what we need to know. And incidentally, when, when we were, you know, two weeks out of closing our first deal, those were the exact same conversations we had with the, the people that we had in our corner called the, the mentors that we had, you know, Drew and Josh, and we were, we were having the exact same conversations. So anyway, great, great job. And, you know, Susie, from what you said, you know, I think the relationships are key. You know, it's something where if you spend a lot of time with people, you know, you're a lot more comfortable with them and it makes it a lot easier for someone to invest if they know, like, and trust you. And, you know, over, over the last year, I think we've gotten to the point to where I'd be happy investing with you guys, you know, because of the relationship that we have built. So that said, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about you guys. So let's talk about your guys' background and history and, and what got you into apartment investing. You know, I'm still active duty Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm That's why we're in Cambridge, England right now. And I was teaching at the Air Force Academy prior to coming here. I was teaching genetics and molecular biology. Um, and uh, they wanted me to continue teaching, so they sent me to get a PhD. And that's why I'm here getting a PhD at the University of Cambridge in biochemistry. I'll finish that out in a couple of years, and then I will, we'll both head back to Colorado, where I'll continue teaching, and I have about seven years left in the military, and then I can transition to real estate full-time after that. So that's the nice. plan. Nice. Yeah. Not normal in the military to know where you're going you know, next. So I think that's, uh, that's kind of a blessing, I would imagine, knowing that you're going to be in, in Cambridge for a certain amount of time, finish your PhD, and then you're going to go right back to, to the same duty station you're just at. So personally, I'm a little jealous because, you know, I'm active duty Marine, like, like most people know, and I typically get about two months notice, you know, hey, you're going to be going to fill in the blank, you know, so yeah. Susie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so before getting into real estate. I mean, I guess just going back. So my main career field has been in finance and I knew I wanted to change that up a bit. So right before we moved here, I actually graduated from the University of Denver and I had gotten my MBA. Mm -hmm. And through that program, I decided that I really liked supply chain just because I liked the Mm -hmm. whole picture view of like the very beginning to the very end. Um, So now that we're in Cambridge, I'm a program manager for a supply chain project right now. And I guess like our biggest reason for even getting into real estate was that during COVID, so like the first lockdown that we had, it was a little over a hundred days. And like during that time, Michael and I just realized like, we started doing much bigger picture views and being like, okay, what do we want from here? You know, now that we've mm-hmm. got to spend this like hundred days together, where are we going to go? And through that, we joined a mini, or we didn't join, we created a mini book club with each other. And after the book, Multiple Streams of Income, like halfway through it, it got to real estate. And when we got there, Michael just looked at me and he's like, we have to do this. Like, this yeah. is how we're going to get to the point where we get to spend every day together. Nice, nice. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, there's always a silver lining. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be on, on lockdown for 100 days. Um, but you guys took advantage of that time, you know, you spent time together and you spent time, you know, planning for the future. So, and it was shortly after that, that we met, I want to say it was probably like May or June timeframe where, where we, we first met and started, you know, talking about the same, same type of thing about real estate and how to, how to get going. So now one, one question for both of you, and, you know, I, I love this question. I think it, it's absolutely crucial to being successful in real estate is to have a big burning why. 
you know, what would you guys say is your big burning why? And I, I know you mentioned a little bit about being together, but if you can distill that down and, and tell us what your why is. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I think our why, I mean, besides to like serve beyond our mm-hmm. four walls, our why really is to be able to have that freedom to like travel the world and pretty much work whenever we want from wherever we want and then help people be on that journey as well to where they're in the position where they get out of that nine to five grind and take control of like their life and their finances. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, the one thing that I realized early on, you know, my, my family didn't have a lot. And I remember my dad, every time a, a worthy cause would come by would say, man, that's, that's a really good cause. I wish I had money. I wish I was able to give, you know, I wish I was able to, you know, and once, once upon a time, I just realized that, man, I mean, money is not the root of all evil. As a matter of fact, the more money you have, the more good you can do. And, you know, I think I, I appreciate what you're looking to do is, is to help other people in their journeys, you know, with, you know, what you guys create. So very much appreciate that about you guys and uh, love what you're doing. So, now let's talk a little bit more about this journey you got you were on. You talked about the the book about the passive income that you talked about there the real estate cha- the real estate chapter and you guys started saying real estate. Okay. What did you guys do from there? I mean there there's a whole lot of stuff involved in real estate. How did you go from reading a chapter on real estate to educating yourself to the point to where you could actually buy something? After we read that, you know, I started dig- doing some digging and I always wanted to, we always wanted to own a house mm-hmm. uh, in the mountains. So we we're looking at, okay, short-term rentals, like how do we get there? So we started planning how we're going to save up money. We're going to buy a, a house in Vail or Breckenridge or something like that in Colorado and then rent it out. Uh, but selfishly, we would use it, you know, during, during the time that we were there, of course. Of course. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, that was kind of our plan, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll buy this short-term rental. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing some research into that. Which then, of course, just led me to bigger pockets and bigger pockets, which led me to the podcast. And then mm-hmm. I just, we just started educating ourselves via podcasts. And we're like, holy mm-hmm. crap, all this information is out there. Started getting to the blogs, things like that, and the forums and reading through all that stuff. And I'm like, wow. Um, and then we just started looking at more and more and more research uh, on, on real estate. And we found the Veterans Real Estate uh, Investing Live that Bill Allen put on, mm-hmm. went to that. And that was a blast. We learned everything about like all the different, you know, from flipping to wholesaling to apartments, um, to everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And we actually had paid for like, the VIP access and we got the Q and a and everything like that. So we were able to like, spend extra time asking the speakers specific questions about certain techniques in real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, like we were like, Oh man, there's so much to do in real estate. What do we want to do? Well, then we kind of went back to, okay, single family homes, things like that. And we actually set, spent time, like a couple of months, setting up a team to do some single family stuff in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, like long distance burring. Then, of course, a, an inland hurricane came through the city mm-hmm. and took out 60% of the trees. And needless to say, like all the contractors that we were going to use to rehab some of our, our homes, mm-hmm. our properties, uh, they were busy rebuilding the city, right? They weren't worried yeah. about you know rental properties and things like that. So we didn't think that the city was going to recover for like a year because people were out of power for like over a month. Um, mm-hmm. It was just ridiculous. Um, and our hearts go out to those people for sure, but we had to take a step back and look at our goals and, yeah. and everything and say, okay, well, that was kind of shot out of the water. And mm-hmm. you know what do we do next? We took a step back. Our whole goal was to buy 25 single family properties and then you know, 1031 those into something larger, like a multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, then I thought back, you know, we thought back, 
Whitney Sewell mentioned something to us at Veterans REI Live, and he basically said, you could start with multifamily. You don't have to start with single family. Mm-hmm. And so that planted a seed. It was way back there, you know, but it planted a seed initially. And so we took a step back, looked at our five-year goals, our, was to go into to multifamily. We said, Let, let's just do this. And the first networking event that we ever attended, Brian, was yours, mm-hmm. uh, your Friday networking event. Nice. And that's how we've met everybody. Um, basically, that stems... That is the initial seed that kind of grew our uh, multifamily network. So yeah. we really appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, not a problem. Not a problem. I mean, so that, that veterans conference, incidentally, I was, you know, this close to buying tickets, you know, and for anybody who's not watching the video, you know, my fingers were very close together and then COVID happened and they decided to go virtual and I actually did not attend the event. I was going to fly out to Kansas city for that event. I thought it was going to be awesome. I was you know, totally ready for it. And I, I knew Whitney Sewell was going to be their, their keynote multifamily speaker, but uh, glad to see that you guys went. And I, I heard it was a great event, but uh, stuff like that is just amazing. I mean, you get to be around people who are doing things and you come away energized. You come away with new ideas with your your mind expanded. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys showed up to our weekly networking event. You know, that's how we got to know each other. And it's definitely good to be around other people, to network, to talk to other people who are doing the same thing. It helps in numerous ways. So so good, good enough. So we, you, you started, you went to the conference, you started networking, you figured out exactly what you wanted to do. And you know, from there, you just continued the journey so what what came what came next in in your journey? Uh, did you guys look for deals first? Did you build your team first? Start raising capital? How how did it how did things pan out from there? Yeah, so I think it was a blend mm-hmm. of all of it actually because since we didn't know how long everything would last being virtual, as in conferences and meetups mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, because half the people are saying like, oh, I have Zoom fatigue. I don't want to, I want to go back to in-person and the other half are like, no, we love Zoom. We save so much time. Like I want to mm-hmm. keep doing everything virtual. And so we were like, go, 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 go. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of just did a combo. So we were still attending conferences. Mm-hmm. And while we were attending conferences, we were like still, well, we weren't still building our website, but we were still adding content to our website. So mm-hmm. that when we met investors, investors then had a place to learn more about us. And so while we were doing that, we were underwriting because that's part of the education, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like finding that perfect balance of doing it all at the same time, because if you don't, one definitely gets left behind and you don't want that at all. So I guess through that journey, um, one of the conferences that we attended was actually Adam Adams. And one of the biggest takeaways that we got from that was like, if you are new into this space, you need to do that identity shift because people know you for who you are and they don't know you as real estate investors. So right when we heard that, it was like, boom, everything's on social media. This is what we're doing now. Everybody come check us out. And actually through that, that's how we met our boots on the ground. Um, One of Michael's previous classmates from the Academy reached out and he was like, Hey, I have left the Air Force and now I'm in real estate. We should talk. Mm -hmm. And like with Michael and I being in the UK, like we can literally do everything, but physically be there as the boots on the ground, you know? And so that was our missing partner or one of the like big missing pieces. And so once that happened, we were like, wow, like there is so much that we can do. So really once we had him, we knew that at least we were in the step of the right direction of starting to submit LOIs because we still had to practice underwriting. You know, you can't just go from like, okay, we have the partner now we'll practice underwriting, like, cause yeah. it all goes together. But like, 
through the networking and through the introductions, you know, like that's how we met our, our mentor organically. And he was a huge piece to mm-hmm. our puzzle because he is also investing where we are. So he could actually look at the underwriting and be like, yes, these yeah. numbers make sense, you know, because like some of the people that we had been interacting with had said that their mentor lived in a different state and was investing in a different area. And it was like, well, How do you know then if the numbers work, you know, just like deep down, that would just be like a fear of mine. Yeah. And so, yeah, just through there, we just kept going with like trying to have it all balanced in order to get to the place where we could like submit LOIs confidently. Yeah. You know, I I handed you a loaded question and you masterfully handled it. I mean, it was... (laughs) You know, I asked you, you know, what did you guys do first? And I, I loved your answer. You, you basically said you had to have a balanced approach. You had to work on a little bit of everything at once. I mean, and that's, that's, that's what I believe is the right answer is, you know, you can't raise capital and focus hundred percent on raising capital and then say, okay, I'm done with this. Now I'm going to go build my team. Or you can't focus 100% on team and then move to capital and, and deal. It doesn't work like that. You've got to, you've got to be pushing forward on each one of those at the same time mm-hmm. to be able to get them all across the, the finish line because they're, they're all required. But so I love that. So, so go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say one thing that was, that helped mm-hmm. us a lot, you know, being a partner team, we very early on, we def, we defined our roles. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that is what's led it led to our success. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's everything we have to do. We have to learn how to do it all at once. But when you have two people working towards the same goal, you can divide and conquer, right? So yeah. what we ended up doing is I, I took on acquisitions and, mm-hmm. you know, broker relations, acquisitions, anything that had to do with deal finding. Mm-hmm. I did that underwriting and everything like that. As soon as you could focus on the marketing piece and the, the, the content creation, investor relations and stuff like that. So like now we, now we have two people, you know, working at this mm-hmm. um, and we could double of our speed at getting there, right? Yeah, so. yeah, and I, I would imagine it's what you guys are naturally inclined towards. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and saying, if you're getting a PhD in microbiology, you can probably spreadsheet, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, I, I would imagine you know, and knowing the two of you, I, I think it's where you guys fall naturally with with what you're good at, and that makes a, it makes a lot of sense. This is a, absolutely a team sport, and you guys from the very beginning defined, okay, you know, you're going to be quarterback, you're going to be halfback, or, or whatever the positions were, and, and work from that uh, that position. So now let, let's talk a little bit more about the team since we're on that subject. You told you told me about your your former classmate. Who else was on the team for this deal? Yeah, my former classmate, uh, he was our boots on the ground because he lives in Oklahoma City. And mm-hmm. so Oklahoma City and Tulsa became our two markets. So there was a boots on the ground. And then we also had um, so our mentors on it, of course. And then also uh, Cliff Luber was on it as well. And he was actually a, a previous episode, episode guest. As well. Yeah, Cliff was uh, on episode number 63 with Corey Peterson. And he was also working at the Pentagon. And we actually had lunch a couple of times in the courtyard of the Pentagon because we were, we were both at the same spot. But yeah, I think uh, so. So. In your team, your former classmate, you had Cliff, your mentor, and the two of you, that makes five. How did you distribute the duties among the five of you? We already talked about what you two did. What did the other three do? So there's actually a sixth person as well that I found mm. to mention, and that was uh, Jim Biggs. Um, he, I won't tell him. <laughs> but uh, he came on you know, to help us get to, you know, you need you know, net worth and liquidity, right? Yep. In order to qualify for agency debt. Yep. So anyways, um, we're... 
He's graciously came on. We, we, we kind of actually met him through your networking group, yeah. Brian. So yeah. Jim's uh, a great yeah. guy. I like him. So he, he came on as a KP for the deal to help you guys qualify for the loan. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Susie and I were the lead sponsors on this. And then, you know, Tareen uh, was uh, boots on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. He was uh, the person who kind of led the, the the on the ground physical due diligence, mm-hmm. that whole part of it. Um, and, and Cliff, you know, also is helping with investor relations, raising capital and asset management. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And I've said this millions of times. And I'll probably say it millions more. It takes a team. It's a team effort. And, you know, it sounds like you guys divided and conquered and you were able to get the, the 88 unit uh, building several buildings. I don't know. Um, across the finish line. So let, let's talk a bit about the the challenges you guys faced, you know, in, in the whole process. I mean, so there's a lot of little challenges. I wouldn't say that anything was huge because like from our perspective, everything is like a learning lesson, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like find the perfect, I guess, challenge to discuss. Some of them were more like internal than external. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll talk about one challenge, which is raising capital. So everybody, well, you don't, not everybody. So you hear a lot like, oh, if you have the deal, capital will just come, which is not true at all because you definitely need to create those relationships. But what people also don't talk about is like without capital, you really don't have a deal. And Mm -hmm. we knew that we had to have the capital. So that wasn't it. But it's like we had our webinar on a Thursday Mm -hmm. and out of our raise, the total raise was 1.75 million. Like right after the webinar, like that night, we probably hit a million and we're all over here like, yeah, that's so exciting. You know, and then like the weekend comes along and it's like, you don't hear a lot. And by that point, like Michael and I aren't sleeping. We're like, what Mm -hmm. is going on? But what also isn't talked about is that like, while this is like our, the most important thing happening in our lives, it's Mm -hmm. not the most important thing happening in our investors' lives, right? And they all have, they have stuff to do on the weekend, you know, like that Mm -hmm. could definitely be family time or don't look at investment times. And so I think a challenge was, I guess, not knowing that. And once we did know it, like not internalizing it, Mm -hmm. like the best way that we could, because like realistically, you can choose, like you feel the emotion, but then you choose what happens afterwards. And we mm-hmm. still chose to be um, a little bit stressed out and not sleep. <laughs> yeah. But just it, It's hard knowing. not to make that choice. I mean, that, that's like the default choice. And it, it's, it's one of those where it's, you have to put a lot of effort into not feeling that way. So yeah, understand right. that. Yeah. In, incidentally, you know, doing, doing your webinars on like a Tuesday is probably the best thing. You can remind people on Monday that it's coming up and then Tuesday, and you got three full business days, you know, to follow up with people. But incidentally, I mean, we, we've we done Thursday webinars too, and you got one day and then a weekend and that weekend's just exactly what you said. Most people reserve the weekend for stuff other than worrying about your investment opportunity. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, so, so good. Now, I assume you were able to get the full 1.75 million before closing or did you have to, uh, to spend a little more time raising after that? Oh no. So we got it in time and everything was fine. Perfect. It was just like that delicate relationship of mm-hmm. like following up with some people being like, Hey, I know that you attended the webinar and you asked for more information. Like when is a great time to talk? Cause the mm-hmm. biggest thing, you know, is like getting them on the phone or getting yeah. them on zoom. So then you can talk about it, but that's a delicate line as well, because I mean, the greatest thing is that if you're really nurturing those investor calls and those relationships, like there are no nerves when you're reaching out, right? Because you know that they like want the follow-up and they appreciate the follow-up. Whereas others are like, nope, just I'll talk to you, you know, in four days and I'll know by then. But like when you have nurtured those relationships, you really get to know who your investors are and what they need, like after the webinar. 
Yeah. And if you have a good relationship with somebody, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you have that relationship, you know, the reaching out on your end is easy and they're going to receive it well also. So very, very crucial that you have those relationships built. Thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. All right. So any, so those were the challenges. Uh, can you talk about the, the process? You guys are in the UK. You had the, you got the property under contract. Let's talk about due diligence, how that worked out. Yeah, so obviously we couldn't be there physically because of mm-hmm. the, the quarantine and the, the restrictions for flight and stuff like that because mm-hmm. of COVID, obviously. Yeah. And so we were able to do as much as we could from here on like the due diligence part, like going through the files, title stuff and everything like that, right? But when it came to like walking the units and everything like that, actually uh, the rest of our team actually went out there and were able to perform physical due diligence with our property management company. Nice, so. nice. So you split up the split up the labor by who is accessible, who's able to go to the deal. And now here, here, here's a question. I mean, UK is is not terribly far, I guess. But if not for the travel restrictions, would you guys have gone? I think so. At least one of us would definitely want. All right. Sure. Yeah, I don't think it's it's mandatory to have every teammate out for a deal like that. It, it's a nice to have, but you know, once once you get into a groove and you're defining roles and responsibilities on your team. You know, it's not necessary for everybody to be out on, on the due diligence trip. Anyway, it's 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 definitely a nice to have, and especially for your first deal, it's it's fun to get out there and, and walk it. But that'll come eventually, right? Have you guys been out yeah. there yet? We haven't, but we have a trip mm-hmm. planned in October. So. All right, nice. Yeah, yeah. And the way things are looking right now, I think uh, travel is going to be back on by then. So that that'll be so. awesome. I know, right? It better be. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So let's let's talk about the the closing process and then the first steps after closing. How did that play out? Yeah. So if you're getting agency debt, just a heads up, there are, I don't know, I'm exaggerating, but there's maybe about 50 documents that you have to sign. Right. Mm-hmm. And since, since we were leads on that, I was leading the charge on answering the lender and mm-hmm. filling out all those documents and signing them, getting them back in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so leading up to closing, there's, you know, you're just going to get showered with documents. You're not going to it's a roller coaster, right? So closing on a property is a roller coaster, right? There's a lot to do and then there's nothing to do. There's a lot to do and there's nothing to do. Um, and so leading up to closing, you're climbing, you know, you're climbing up to the biggest hill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then anyways, you get all that done. And then we actually had, you know, when you get everything ready, everything's at title, the lender's attorneys are working to get all the documents prepped and stuff like that. When it came to closing and sending in the documents and everything, it was around, well, one, it was around the same time as everything was happening in Texas. So Mm. one of our partners actually had to drive to a mobile notary, which is great within itself, you know? Um, Wait, 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 wait. He had to drive to a mobile notary. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Right. Just because UPS was closed, FedEx was closed. And he was like, okay, where am I going to find a notary? And this one was like, mm-hmm. well, you can use me, but you have to come to me, <laughs> okay. which was yeah. pretty great. It works. It's it's better. It's better than not closing. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely. But then even to bring it all together. So the paralegal happened to send one FedEx shipping label to everybody, the same label. So when the all of our documents went out at the same time all of them were being scanned Mm -hmm. and then only some of them arrived and only some of them arrived and showed up as arriving because the documents got stuck right because there was only one shipping label that we probably all had the same tracking information too so oh my goodness so luckily you know of the six of us who were sending in documents Mm -hmm. two of them made it Mm -hmm. of the six and so 
Luckily, because we had to extend until we were close, close on Friday, we had actually had to extend until Tuesday mm-hmm. just because of the storm in Texas. Um, literally, our, our, you know, our partner who had to drive to a mobile notary went then to try to find something that was open. And like Susie's mentioning, FedEx, UPS, and USPS were all closed. Mm-hmm. Literally could not get it. He would have had a better luck just driving it to California um, where they needed it at the, the lender's office. But anyways, so with that being said, a couple lessons learned from that, right? Make sure everybody has their own tracking label or their own <laughs> shipping label. Yep. And the other lesson is make sure you track your document and make sure that mm-hmm. it arrives. We didn't find out because it looked like it arrived, right? Because mm-hmm. all the tracking is the same. It looked like it arrived. However, we didn't follow up and say, hey, did you actually get this? So follow up with the people who are supposed to get it. So title called me on Monday and the lender called me on Monday. Hey, we don't have your documents. I was like, what are you talking about? It says right here that they've arrived. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we're trying to figure out what happened. We luckily had time. It was like 5.30 p.m. And we were able to get to a notary and get it shipped by 6 p.m. that we needed to get, to get the same day delivery. Yes. Next morning delivery. Over, overnighted from the UK to California last second. Actually, we were we were back in the States. Oh, that's um, right. You were you're in Georgia, so, right? Yeah. Okay. So we, yeah, we were on right. the East Coast. But uh, yeah, we made the cutoff in uh and we were able to get everything ready. And there, it mm-hmm. arrived at like 10.30. And their funding cl- cutoff was like 1 p.m. Eastern time. So they were yeah. Pacific time. So it, it worked. I don't know. It worked. It worked. Yeah. It, worked. Closed. it worked. Yeah. So so lesson learned, you know, is, is don't use the same shipping label for everybody's envelope. And yeah, that's that's something I wouldn't imagine happened. I mean, we, we talked a little. I'm not going to go into it. But um, you, we, we've had some shipping snafus as well. You know, so I, I say definitely build a little bit of time into it. You know, so if if your last day to close is Friday, try to have the documents in, you know, several days in advance. Unfortunately, you're dealing on lenders' timelines and attorneys' timelines, and you may not have the opportunity. But if you have the opportunity to get the documents in a couple of days early, do it. You know, so on our on our first project, we were del- our closing was delayed because documents got way late. You know, we got some documents sent to Dallas that should have been in Greenville, South Carolina. But yeah, ever since then, you know, as soon as I get the 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 instructions from the attorney, as soon as I get the documents to sign, you know, I'll usually go same day and and overnight it, try to get in as soon as possible, just mm-hmm. to not you know be the one that everything's waiting for. So, all right, so you were able to close. You know, I just got under the wire. And you closed about a month ago. How's everything gone since then? Everything's going great so far. You know, when you take over a new property, mm-hmm. the tenant or the residents push back a little bit and just to see how far they can go, you know. And, you know, I think we've had like, you know, one person skip and I think that's about it so far. So everything mm-hmm. else looks pretty good. Um, yeah. We're still at like 97% occupancy. And because I had set up, we had set up a, a good solid plan with our property management company. Like our, our regional, we have weekly calls with the regional and the property manager on site. And I'm just about to say something and she's she's already done it. And I'm like, hey, what about this? And already done. Like, yep, done. okay, cool. Yep. Thank you so much for ex- executing our plan. I really appreciate it. And we, yep. we have an amazing property manager company. We're really happy we're working with them. So. Nice. Nice. All right. So happy that everything's going well. And, you know, one person skipping rent out of 88 is not bad. You know, it's, it's a lot better than a single family where if you have one person skip rent, you have zero rent coming in. But so what's, what's next for the two of you? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So our original plan for the year was to be like lead sponsors on four deals Mm -hmm. and or like be able to raise $5 million on our own. And after this first one, we decided that we want to be lead sponsors on one more and then co-GP on two. Mm -hmm. So we'd still like to hit that four mark. But yeah, that's our goals. And then hopefully in the works... Mm-hmm. we will start a podcast because then we can reach more people and hit that $5 million yeah. mark eventually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, podcasts are, are pretty, pretty difficult to set up. I don't think it's, you know, no, just, just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's a great, uh, a great thing. You know, from one podcaster to, to you guys, it's, it's a great way to, to get the word out and to, to establish a little bit of credibility. So good on you. And I hope you guys can get that two co GPs and one deal sponsor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And $5 million. That's, that's a good that's mark it. to hit. So now best question from the whole thing, you know, what advice would you give an aspiring investor six to 12 months behind you guys? So I have two pieces of advice, Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is, and this isn't talked about a lot either. Um, and this, this comes down to underwriting and making sure that your underwriting is conservative enough mm-hmm. that when you go do physical due diligence, mm-hmm you don't have to retrade. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of talk about retrades, right? Mm-hmm. But if you if you are a new investor, you get a property under contract, you go through the physical due diligence, and then you start retrading after the physical due diligence, that broker is going to know you as some as an investor who retrades. Mm-hmm. And if you back out of that deal because of retrade, and then you try to put an LOI on another property um, in that same area, Guess what? You know, those brokers talk to each other. And so what what I would say is like, make sure when you walk the property initially, before you submit an LOI, make sure you account for some things like anything that you can see on the outside. Obviously, if you go in and you realize that the, the, you know, 10 of the units are completely ripped out and they need like $25,000 renovation, then then there's justification for a retrade. But if you miss something during the initial walkthrough, Mm -hmm. because you didn't know better, just make sure you have the people you need in order to walk the property with you uh, and to submit a correct LOI on the first nice. go. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's good. I mean, you do get reputation in this business and you don't want to be the the guy who has a reputation reputation for retrading. And incidentally, if, if uh, anybody's never heard that term, that's just negotiating credits or, you know, discounts off the purchase price. Yeah. I mean, if, if we, we've, we've retraded I think one time, and that was because I agree hundred percent. If it's visible to the naked eye, you need to have it baked into your underwriting before you put your LOI in. We had one particular building with a flat roof and the owner told us that it was seven years old. And when we got on top of the roof with a roofer, it was very apparent that roof was 25 to 30 years old. And in that case, we retraded because they gave us different, they gave us bad information. You know, they told mm-hmm. us, hey, you got a seven-year-old roof when it's a 30-year-old roof. That changes numbers. But 100% agree with you. Um, make sure you have everything baked in. Yeah. So, And the, and the second piece of advice that I had mm-hmm. was that, and Susie kind of mentioned it earlier on, but like, make sure that you have the investors mm-hmm. before you have the deal. We, we kind of find out, and a lot of people talk about this, like, if you have an investor's list of 100 people, about 10% mm-hmm. of that list is actually going to invest on with you on your first deal because mm-hmm. everybody else is going to be following, see mm-hmm. how you're doing, things like that. And we actually had about 10% of our list um, actually fall through and invest with us. Yeah. Um, so that that holds pretty true um, from what we heard and then us actually, you know, experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And so make sure that you have, if you if you know that you're trying to raise you know, $500,000, make sure you have 100 people on your list. 
because yep. ten, 10 of those people give you $50,000. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So then just, just kind of gauge it off of that, right? So 10% of your list is going to invest, calculate how much you need, how many people you need on your list in order to hit that 10% that are going to invest to raise the money yep. you're trying to trying to get. Yeah. Yeah. That's solid. And, and you guys, like, like you said, I mean, Susie said it before, having a deal does not mean the money's going to come. You know, that that's not exactly true. A lot of people will say it. If you have a good deal, the money will come. Not true. Okay. That is not true. And so I love what you guys both said, you know, make sure you have the money in place and that'll make it a lot easier for you to get the deals in the end. All right. Last question for each of you. How can listeners learn more about you two? Uh, thanks for asking, Brian. So actually being overseas and being in lockdown, mm-hmm. Susie and I have actually unlocked four powerful ways to generate passive income from anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. And we want to share those with your audience. Mm-hmm. So to claim your free guide, go to adventurousrei.com for such guide and you can find us there. All right. Sounds good. And we're going to put a link to that in the show notes with information about the guide. So if if you're listening and you want to hit that uh, guide to unlock passive income tap and you know, the magical internet's going to whisk you away to that, that website. So, all right. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Hey, well, thanks. Thanks you two for coming on the show. You know, super excited to bring you back on and talk about this deal and uh, look forward to, you know, seeing you guys again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting us to be here and letting us share this space for you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.